Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Dr. Blood and Guts Green. And his tag team partner, making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach. You're not getting paid. Barlow. Oh, that was that was a good one. A reference to Mr. Uh, Paul Heyman. Yeah, ECW wrestlers not being paid. Paul Heyman. Sorry, my my alarm started going off. I heard it's time some for me to wake up. Uh, <laughs> this is Turnbuckle Training Early Edition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I assume yeah, a reference to Paul Heyman not really paying people. Paul Heyman, great wrestling mind, terrible business mind. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of tell just by looking at him. But on the on the other perspective, people who like are business people like Ted Turner, Ted Turner, great business mind, horrible wrestling mind. You know, I think that it, a lot of it when you're running the wrestling company comes down to what we talk about with like what makes a good wrestler which is this intersection of athleticism and improbability. And so, like, when it comes to running a company, it's an intersection of wrestling-minded and business-minded. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I, you may not get this, Zach. I do, and, and anyone out there who works for any sort of corporation will get that. It's like when, like, corporate people come down. Like, re- recently we had, like, an accountant guy come down and, and like, observe and stuff. And people who are, like, business-minded don't really get what happens in their business all the time. Oh, absolutely not. Business people are some of the dumbest people on the face of the planet. Uh, Today we're talking about Extreme Championship Wrestling, Return of Jafar. (laughs) Yeah. ECW One Night Stay in 2005. So uh, we did an episode, a pretty fun one, and one of our, I think it was our, our third episode was about ECW. Uh, we uh, did their uh, Heat Wave 1998 pay-per-view, one of their most famous pay-per-views, and we've talked a lot about ECW on here. So if you need a little refresher, go listen to that episode or even our Beyond the Mat episode. We talk about ECW quite a bit. Uh, but basically an underground independent wrestling promotion that decided, you know what, we're just going to do whatever the hell we want. We're going to you know, have really extreme violence we're going to say cuss words, uh, but we're also going to have some pretty cool wrestling styles that you don't really see a lot in America, and so we get a lot of really great wrestlers start out in ECW. Uh, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Rey Mysterio, a lot of guys start out in ECW um, and make a big name for themselves. ECW ends up folding in 2001 because they just run out of money. Um, A lot of their guys end up coming and working for WWE, but there has always been this nostalgia for ECW in a way that has has never really existed for another wrestling company. I mean, could you imagine if people nowadays kept chanting WCW? Yeah, I I couldn't (laughs) stop thinking about that while I was watching this. I was like, man... 
the WCW never had this much heart to it. Um, at any point, and and no one would ever be this hype for them. Uh, and no. I think that you know they make a point of that where he's talking to Eric Bischoff about all the emotion that goes into ECW. Uh, but he's not wrong. There's clearly people have strong feelings here that you normally really don't get for a wrestling company. Yeah, I mean, it's why there was no WCW one-night stand. Right, right. Um, so this all kind of starts when they come out with this DVD called The Rise and Fall of ECW um, that it pretty much is what it says it is. It's a documentary that like is a tell-all behind the scenes of ECW, why it was successful, why it wasn't, and the DVD does incredible. It's like one of their best-selling DVDs of all time. Like I think like the only DVD that outsold it more that year that it came out was WrestleMania. Um, it comes out in like 2003. And so um, uh, a guy by the name of Rob Van Dam, um, one of the most popular ECW wrestlers of all time, Goes to Vince McMahon, and he's like, hey, what if we did a ECW reunion type show? We have so many guys on the roster who are former ECW guys. Uh, we could really make it work. And Vince McMahon, for whatever reason, says yes. It kind of almost, this this show seems like an idea that like Vince McMahon could not have agreed to. Yeah, no, it does. It seems in a lot of ways, like, how'd you get Vince to sign off on this? But at the same time, you know, we've talked about it before, um... Vince McMahon, it, like he says in that, uh, oh, God, what episode is that where he talks? Oh, the Matt Hardy episode where you talked about where he's talking about, because it's good business. Like, Vince McMahon knows what will make him some money. Yeah. And um, I will say, too, it appears that this show was done with a shoestring budget. Like, he probably made a lot of money off of this without a lot of production value going in, because it looks like an ECW show. It looks like... Yeah. The, the production it, value of an old ECW show. And it, it, this is so successful, this show, that they decided to do it again the following year, ECW One Night Stand 2006, which, t- to me, that kind of doesn't make it a one-night stand anymore, but, you know, whatever. Um, that show is also pretty good. Uh, the uh, The one exception, I will say, is that it involved too many... Because this show was all... E- ECW guys, whether they were they brought them back, or it was someone who's currently on the WWE roster who's an ECW alumnus. Whereas the the ECW One Night Stand 2006 show was like more of like a WWE versus ECW show, right? Which was okay, but you know, John Cena versus Rob Van Dam is not the same as you know Rhino versus Sabu. Like it's Exactly, and that's the thing with this, is that it really did feel like, it felt like Vince kind of said, you know, do whatever you want. Like, have free reign over this. And I don't know how much that's true, obviously, uh, but it really does seem like he was more hands-off and let these guys give the tribute show that they they wanted and needed to give. And uh, they... They do, like, uh, there's no, there's not a lot of storyline, there's really only one storyline in the whole show, and that is that these... WWE invaders are coming in. And I, I remember watching this, watching the Raws and SmackDowns leading up to it, and that was, yeah, that was pretty much the whole thing. They didn't really, I, I, I don't even remember them promoting any matches, saying, like, these are the matches that are going to be on the card. It was just, 
they you know they would have like a like they'd have like Chris Benoit have like a hardcore match against Tajiri, and then you know some like some ECW guys would come out and beat him up, or and they would brawl in the ring. Uh, there was also this this little mini feud between Kurt Angle, who was kind of leading the charge of the SmackDown guys of being the anti ECW voice, um, and he kind of badmouthed Taz on the SmackDown before Taz being SmackDown's uh, color commentator and beat him up, busted his head open. So that was also another storyline kind of leading into this, and you'll you'll see that come up later in the show. Um, but the cool thing about this was is all the guys that they brought back, because a lot of these guys are not active ECW wrestlers, and um, in most every match, it involves at least one person who's not under contract with the WWE at the time. Um, so this was really kind of like a... This was really like fan service to the rabid ECW crowd because the WWE crowd that's like exclusive WWE, even me as a kid, I didn't know who the fuck Tommy Dreamer was. I didn't know who Sabu was. So this was very specific to a very specific audience and it worked really, really well. And yeah, Um, and whenever you have a very specific audience, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that that they're promoting isn't going to be successful. What, it, what really is the determining factor is how much money that specific audience is willing to pay. And in paying for the rise and fall of ECW, the DVD, I think that they said, hey, look, we're willing to shell out some cash if you guys are willing to to shine a light on ECW. Yeah. Um, also, in the lead-up, uh, they do a lot of stuff with, like, Eric Bischoff, because uh, Bischoff, of course, was the... Uh, was the owner of uh, WCW, uh, and they have a, they actually have a cool moment le- like promoting the pay per view when they they have Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, and Paul Heyman and all in the same ring for I believe the first time ever. Uh, it's a pretty cool moment there. Now um, I do have a question here uh, that you know. Uh, okay, so we get a lot of i believe sort of a revisionist history out of this because they talk a lot about how eric bischoff tried so hard to shut down ecw when he was running wcw but we don't really get a lot of talk about the ww like the wwe looks clean in all of this that is true they're obviously going to make wwe look good but i will say uh, there is some truth to that in that wcw they hate ecw always hated wcw more than wwe because WWE or WWF at the time, they helped out ECW a lot. Um, oh, okay. They did, they did some talent exchanges. Um, there was even, um, there was even a time where to promote ECW, there was an episode of Raw where some ECW guys invaded the show and had some matches, and Paul Heyman even got on commentary. Uh, and then an ex- and Jerry Lawler was on commentary and was bad-mouthing ECW. So he came over to ECW, showed up there, and I believe he had a match with Tommy Dreamer or something. So there was a business relationship between the two. Um, and there's also a pretty cool historical moment uh, where WWE really lends ECW a hand um, in around 2000 that I'll get into a little bit later in the show. But yeah, WWE and, and ECW had kind of a working relationship, whereas 
WCW and EC WCW was known for taking a lot of ECW's talent. Well, and you know, um, and this is pure speculation, obviously, but I think that a lot of that lies in WCW and ECW were targeting the same sort of demographic: older people watching wrestling, uh, you know, people above the age of twenty. Whereas WWE has always gone, has I believe skewed younger, and so I think that. WWE working with ECW is a good way to bring in some of those other that other demographic of people, older folks mm-hmm. that that And are, they recognize yeah. it when when you know they'd have hardcore matches, they'd hear people chanting ECW. So it's basically like they just kind of leaned it. They just WWE now they there are plenty of examples of them not doing this and doing the exact opposite of this, but there are a lot of examples where the WWE really listened to what their fans wanted and did it. It's what they did when they rehired Matt Hardy. It's what they did when they did this ECW reunion show. Um, so, yeah, there are some good examples of that. Um, uh, one more thing before we get into the show. Something kind of interesting. Uh, just two or three days before this show... There was another ECW reunion show called Hardcore Homecoming. Um, it was not WWE branded at all, and nobody who appeared at the event was under WWE contract. But there were some wrestlers that did appear on both shows, like Sabu. Uh, you'll notice when Sabu comes out, he's covered in bandages. It's because he had a barbed wire match like two nights before at this hardcore homecoming show. Yeah, and that's one thing that I'll say is that, like, getting into this, you can tell that, like, it's gonna it's gonna give you some ECW flavor in this show. No doubt. And it's gonna feel like it's made with a lot of love and respect for the original product. But it's not gonna get as nuts. Because I just don't think the WWE is gonna let that happen. There, there was no way, and anyone who thought that they were going to do this 100% authentic was wrong. It, it was, it, you know, you weren't going to get no WWE involvement. It was, it, there was going to be some WWE on here. Um, there was really no way. Um, but I, th- I think, as far as, like, this is one of the, like, best things WWE, because WWE has done a lot to shit on ECW's reputation but this is an example of them really making ecw look good ecw is portrayed as like the faces in this story wwe guys are portrayed as heels all the invaders are heel guys so they really do a good job um this all goes down uh on a very special day uh june 12th my birthday your birthday i turned 11 when this happened wow uh, 2005, it's, uh, happens at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is, uh, important because that was, uh, the venue that ECW had its very last pay-per-view at. Now, is this um, the same venue because it looks really similar to the Paul Heyman, the lights are about to go out venue? It might have been. Uh, ECW kind of played in all the same... I, I actually don't think so. I actually uh, barely barely legal. I think that was in the ECW arena, which was in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. But yeah, uh, ECW was always like an East Coast thing: Philadelphia, uh, Pittsburgh, New, New York, kind of kind of area. Um, that was another thing that made WWE and ECW kind of connected, is they were both East Coast, whereas 
uh, WCW was a Southern uh, locale kind of thing. Ah, uh, they're, they're based in Atlanta. Um, so uh, we're gonna open the show with a rabid ECW crowd. Um, the crowd is hot the whole time. Uh, there are a few times where I think that the crowd detracts from the show a little bit, but for the most part, it's a it's a great crowd. Yeah, the crowd is absolutely just electrified for the whole show. Which, I mean, that's the benefit to having a small group of really, really hardcore fans. They're gonna show up, and they're gonna be hype. And at the beginning of the show, they actually try to, like, bleep out some of the more offensive chants from the crowd, and but they quickly give up. Yeah, the things that get bleeped versus the things that don't in this show is uh, mind-boggling at times. Yeah, basically the only thing that they consistently bleep out is the F word. Right, right. Which is pretty impressive that a WWE event even allowed the F word to be said, even if it was bleeped out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think any of the talent said it, did they? No, no, well, because Paul Heyman's gonna say it, and Eric Bischoff is gonna say it. Oh, too. yeah, you are correct. Never mind. Never mind. Um, so yeah, they they are gonna they are gonna drop a few f bombs. Um, first person to come out is the voice of ECW, Joey Styles. Uh, now, what do you think about Joey Styles? You know, I think in a previous episode, I mentioned that I didn't like Joey Styles. I've I, I've since he's sort of won me over. I'm I, I'm a fan of Joey Styles now. I think and, that and his uh, commentary. I mean, he does a pretty good job. Not everyone used, can be Jr. and King, and I've learned that now. He used to call the shows by himself, um, which you and, can tell. You can tell when he's calling this show that like he is. I'm, he almost doesn't know how to work with a partner sometimes. I, I like Joey Styles. Joey Styles is one of those wrestlers that's a huge fan of wrestling. Um, I didn't know he ever actually was in the ring. What do you mean, in the ring? You, know, you just saw, called him a wrestler, so... Oh, I did I? Yeah. I, me- I meant he was... I, I didn't mean wrestler. I just meant person. Gotcha. He's one of those people. One of those commentators is a huge fan of wrestling. Uh... Sometimes you don't always get that. They're, like, JR is a huge wrestling fan. There are some people who are good announcers, but they're not really wrestling people. Right. Uh, like Joey Tony Styles Schiavon- seems genuinely enthused. Which like I think- Tony Schiavone in WCW was more of a sports guy, not so much a wrestling guy. Yeah, but I think that his, his natural energy that he brings to it, it works really well with the ECW crowd. Because Joey yeah. Styles really comes off as being one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and again, it shows how authentic they're being. They have the ECW commentators. They have the ECW ring announcers. They bring the ECW referees in. Um, I'm sure that this was a fun experience for all these guys. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's, you know, one last big hurrah. Even though it will happen again in a year, I think that a lot of these guys, one, didn't know that at the time, and so they're really making the most of this. Uh, and two, this is really just their their chance to shine. Yeah, and this is the more authentic one. Right. Um, uh, Joey Styles, of course, starts by saying his catchphrase, Oh my God! <laughs> um, he's looking really emotional here. Uh, he's not going to call the show by himself, though. He's going to bring out Mick Foley, coming out in full Cactus Jack gear. Um, 
I like the addition of Mick Foley here, and Mick Foley's actually not a bad commentator. No, he's. I, I really enjoyed him, and I wish that he would kind of come and do some more commentary uh, nowadays. I think that would be great. Um, he actually did do commentary for SmackDown for a very short period of time, but he, he just didn't like it. He just didn't like doing commentary. You know, that's fair. Um, but he's he's pretty good at it. Even though, okay, but what I do find funny consistently throughout the show, despite the fact that, like, he's kind of supposed to be the heel commentator here. He, I don't think he's supposed to be the heel. Well, but he, but he can't say bad things about people. Every time yeah. he insults someone, he follows it with a compliment. Well, that is kind of just Mick Foley's personality. Yeah, yeah. Mick Foley, for a guy who likes to throw himself off things and into things and on things, is... Quite a teddy bear. Mick Foley does not want to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah, he will He will hurt you physically, but no, never emotionally. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we get a montage of some old ECW stars uh, before we get into our very first match, uh, which is going to be Lance Storm coming out with uh, Don Marie versus Chris Jericho. Um, cool way to start this off, two guys uh, from Canada, two guys who uh, know each other pretty well, uh, used to be tag team partners, um, and it's a good way to show fans that, okay, ECW's not all, like, chair shots and barbed wire and flaming tables, we have some good wrestling. Right, and I do think that these two specifically uh, put on a pretty good basic wrestling match that, that is a good way to start the show off before things get nuts. Because you can't really de-escalate an ECW show, I, I feel. You, things have to be in an upward progression. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I like that Jericho, he comes out in his old ECW gear. He's introduced as Lionheart Chris Jericho. Still uses his WWE music, though. I do have a question about Chris Jericho. I My understanding is that he's still big. Yeah, yeah, he's uh he he's not in WWE anymore. He's a part of AEW, All Elite Wrestling, a big part of their uh, their scene there. But yeah, Chris Jericho is is still very active in wrestling. I'd love to do an episode on him because I see his name all the time and I see him pop up when we do this. But I really don't know that much about Chris Jericho. A Jericho episode would be a great idea. I'm, I've been trying to think of more episode ideas, so you know that's thank you for that. Uh, um, you're you're welcome. We get some uh, we get some chain wrestling here. Uh, the crowd, I love it when you know they do a lot of chain wrestling and then they both pop back up to their feet and the crowd goes nuts. Um, uh, Mick Foley talks about how you know ECW crowds are mistaken for being bloodthirsty, but they also appreciate some pretty good wrestling. Um, now I do love this bit from commentary uh, from Joey Styles talking about how. Uh, the ECW does not use mats. The state of New York requires that we have mats outside the ring. A uh, bunch yeah. of sissies. And I'm like, that is such a weird flex. Yeah, I well, ECW always liked to be like how, like, you know, extreme they are. The mat thing was always weird because I feel like, you know, you guys should not fall on concrete. No, definitely not. It's not like falling, like slamming someone outside the ring is going to feel good. And I'm, I'm never going to be in a situation like, you know, I, I love hardcore stuff, but I'm never going to be like, Matt, what is this, kindergarten? Yeah. Um, the crowd 
does one of its uh, interesting chants where they chant, she's a crack whore at Dawn Marie. That is one thing about ECW is that uh, they were never very, uh, they were never a feminist crowd. No, no. And this is, I saw one lady in the whole crowd the entire show. Yeah, it's kind of like a Rush concert in that way. It is. Um, uh, we get some holy shit chants. Which, uh, I believe point. it's, is it Mick Foley or Joey Styles that says our first fecal chant of the evening? Yeah, that's, that's Styles. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Um, the crowd starts chanting for Chris Candido at one point, who is a former partner of Lance Storm, who had just very recently passed away. Uh, earlier that year in a very tragic way because, you know, a lot of wrestlers, when they they die young and it's usually because of drugs or, you know, just being beaten up. He he actually had an accident in the ring and had to have some surgery uh, and got a blood clot that, like, gave him some complications and he, he like, bled out or something. Uh, very tragic death. Oh, there, man. But- so the crowd, the crowd is chanting for Candido, and they're going to chant for him a few more times throughout the night. Um, Jericho uh, goes for a, the lion salt springboard moon salt uh, off the ropes, but uh, Lance Storm's going to get his knees up. Uh, Jericho though will reverse that into the walls of Jericho. Don Marie gets on the apron and distracts the ref while Lance Storm taps out. That's when Jason and Just Incredible, uh, Lance Storm's former partners and the Impact players, come down to the ring. Jericho fights them off, but eventually Just Incredible hits Jericho in the face with a kendo stick, and Storm pins him. That's when Joey Styles and uh, Mick Foley talk about how it was a crappy way to end the match, uh, especially because this is supposed to be Lance Storm's retirement match. I'm not exactly sure if that is if that it ended up being his last match. Probably wasn't, but uh, it was kind of a lame ending. Yeah, yeah, especially for a match that. You know, like, the whole thing, this match is like, oh, here's some here's some good, solid wrestling. And then what a hokey, weird way to end it. Yeah, it's supposed to be about two guys. Like, they, they openly talk about, like, basically, like, who booked this shit? Like, right. Uh, it, it was an odd ending, uh, for sure. Um, they talk about the uh, WWE stars who plan to invade and put ECW out of business once and for all. I mean, it kind of already is, though, right? <laughs> Um, we go backstage to Pitbull Gary Wolf, who introduces a uh, tribute package to, this, to all the ECW wrestlers who couldn't be here. I noticed you you uh, put a put a little thing together where you actually looked through all their ages. Yeah, I just looked at the you know because it had years on all of them, and for the eight that were given the the years of their lives for, um, six of them are under the age of forty, four of them are thirty five and under. You mean under fifty? No, no, no. Uh, under because well, there's there's one that's seventy seven and one that's forty nine. Yes, so that there are eight two. total. Those two are over forty. Six of which are under. Oh, 40. okay. Sorry, I forgot how to do math. <laughs> and and four of those are e are thirty five and under, which is just like yeah. yikes. Yeah, uh, and that's that's kind of wrestling for you. I'm amazed that Sheik lived to be 77. I'm like, how many wrestlers make it to be that old? Clearly not very many. Like, I, you, you, it's a small, select group of people that, that get to be that old. Hulk uh, Hogan's going to be one of them, if he's not already. 
and then and Sheik even has they they put a nice message from uh, Sabu there because Sabu's his nephew. Um, come back and the crowd is chanting for Chris Candido. As I mentioned, he had just recently passed away, and he's always kind of been a a fan favorite. Um, so we're gonna go to our our next match, which is a three way dance between Tajiri, who's coming out with Sinister Minister and Mikey Whipwreck. Versus Little Guido, known in WWE as Nunzio, with members of the FBI, the Full-Blood Italians, Tony Mamaluke, Tracy Smothers, JT Smith, and Big Guido versus Super Crazy. There is kind of a theme here where, you know, they only can have so many matches, but they still try to get as many old ECW guys involved. And that kind of becomes like where there's like a lot of run-ins and a lot of people accompanying people to matches. Yeah, and you know what's really weird about that to me is that this whole show... We spend so much time uh, in places that we shouldn't, in my opinion. Like, like we get a lot of highlight reels, which I get. It's a tribute show. But, like, we get a ton of highlight reels, and we get a lot of um, talking back and forth, it, it, which we'll see in a little bit. But, like, let some of these guys wrestle in that time. You could have fit yeah. two or three more matches in this show. But I will say, the guys who just kind of do their run-ins, like, nobody is, like, People will be like, oh, hey, look, it's Tracy Smothers, but nobody's like, what the fuck, why didn't Tracy Smothers wrestle on this show? Yeah, nobody's clamoring for him. I can yeah. see that. So they're they're getting the big names out there. Um, and I think it's probably just like so many guys wanted to be a part of this but couldn't necessarily fit into a match. So, I mean, I get it. Um, This match is a little bit different than a triple threat because in WWE, when you have a three-man match, it's usually just one fall to a finish, but this one's elimination style. So once one guy gets pinned or submits, they will continue the match with the other two. Yeah, and I really like that a lot, honestly. I li- I think that's how all triple threat matches should be. I think it makes it way more fun. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. I mean, it kind of makes them go a little bit longer and... I do understand why sometimes you want to do the triple threat rules because you can play the whole, like, oh, well, like the champion doesn't necessarily have to get pinned to lose the title or that kind of thing. But I'd like to see it every now and then. No, and I, but I, I really like the elimination style just because it, um, I, I think it gives, you know, and it does give the opportunity for two people to potentially pin in a match. That's true. It, let, it lets two people, you know, kind of look strong. Or, uh, alternatively, you can make one guy look really strong. Yeah. And like and just something wins. about elimination appeals to me, because uh, I just like the, that, that as a concept. Because, you know, mm-hmm. your typical three-man match is always, like, there's going to fight outside the ring till one guy falls down and is incapacitated, then the other guy is going to pin the last guy. So it kind of yeah, turns I mean, out to be an elimination anyways. Exactly, yeah. Um... But yeah, like I said, they're trying to get everybody involved in this match because the whole damn FBI comes out. Um, uh, all three guys are getting in a nice offense at the beginning, uh, and this is this is cool because we got so we have Tajiri and and little Guido who are both currently at this point a part of WWE. Uh, Super crazy is not, although after this match he ends up getting. Not a great run with WWE, but he stays with the company for a while. Um, Super crazy is always cool. And these guys would wrestle a lot, uh, kind of like in the latter years of ECW as like this kind of like international rivalry because we got 
super crazy from Mexico, Tajiri from Japan, and and Little Guido from from Italy, um, and and they all have like a very high, you know, an aerial fast paced style that that's really fun to watch. Yeah, I really like all these guys. Um, I think this match, you know, it's a three person match, so it's gonna be a mess, but it's uh, ultimately a really fun one. Yeah, uh, biggest moment comes when they all start brawling in the crowd. And uh, Super Crazy goes all the way up to the balcony and moonsaults onto the whole FBI yeah, on the floor. That was sick. And Joey Styles says, Adios mio. <laughs> uh, in the ring, uh, little Guido is climbing on the top rope while big Guido lifts up Tajiri. Can we just talk about how it's how it's interesting that they named they named their characters after like a slur? Yeah. Like I would give an example of like could you imagine if they did this but I don't want to. Right. But okay, but I will say Guido is occasionally a self-identified thing. Um Sure. Like that I mean it's not I mean I don't think any, I don't think anyone's like getting that upset over it, but like But it is weird. It is weird. Like, what if they, like, had characters that were, like, Big Jew and Little Jew? Yeah, that wouldn't be okay. Um, so Big Guido's about to powerbomb Tajiri, but Tajiri spits the green mist at Little Guido. Sinister Minister, uh, who, by the way, is also James Mitchell in TNA, Abyss's manager. Um, Sinister Minister's gonna hit a low blow on Big Guido... And uh, Tajiri's going to kick Tracy Smothers in the head. Mikey Whipwreck comes in and hits the whippersnapper from the top rope. And uh, and Tajiri pins little Guido to eliminate him. Interesting story. Mikey Whipwreck uh, ended up... He was originally a part of the ring crew. He'd, like, set up the ring. And he got a tryout match. And eventually became uh, ECW's first Grand Slam champion. The first wow. person to hold every title in ECW. He's like the Harrison um, Ford of wrestling. I yeah. He's like the Harrison Ford of wrestling. And uh he had a he had a pretty memorable match with Steve Austin during Steve Austin's short career in ECW. And uh the whippersnapper, the cutter, is actually where uh Steve Austin got the idea for the stunner. Really? Huh. Yeah. Um uh, Mikey Whipwreck was also tag team partners with Mick Foley, um, so yeah, kind of kind of some interesting history there. Uh, so anyway, Little Guido is eliminated by Tajiri. Uh, so now we're just down to Super Crazy and Tajiri, who they've had a lot of great matches, and this one is really fun. Lots of near falls and stuff. Um, eventually, Tajiri's going to try for a buzzsaw kick, but Crazy's going to duck it, power bomb Tajiri. And uh, follows up with a top rope moonsault for the win. And Super Crazy is going to take home the win. Pretty nice that, uh, you know, they had two WWE guys face a non-WWE guy. And the non-WWE guy gets the win. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I think that if he had not, you know, the the crowd might be a little upset. I think that having, having some of your ECW guys that are not in the WWE bring some wins home was really important to this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh I think I will say 
every match kind of seems to go to the person who the crowd is hot for. Although there are some matches where the crowd's hot for everybody, so, you know. Well, then you got to think about, too, that makes sense when you're not really, like, looking to spin story threads or do anything like that. You're you're just looking to put on one Yeah, big show. nobody, like, winning and losing doesn't really matter at this show because the winners and losers aren't, don't really get anything. Right, right. Uh, which is Which is fine, you know. It's it's cool to watch an entire show that there are no titles on the line or, or no stipulations or anything. It's just it's just matches for the sake of having matches. Yeah, no, it makes for a really fun show. We watched some old ECW memories, like when Eastern Championship Wrestling became Extreme Championship Wrestling. Tommy Dreamer getting the shit caned out of him and saying, Thank you, sir, may I have another? Uh... The crowd throwing way too many chairs in the ring. Yeah, the chair tornado really sort of caught me by surprise. Because, you know, I don't know shit, so I don't know what any of these memories are. But I saw the chair tornado, and I was like, what the hell's going on here? So Terry Funk and Cactus Jack are wrestling, and Terry Funk is looking for a chair, and he says, somebody get me a chair, and then the fans start throwing all of their chairs in the ring. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh... That's that's really all I have to and say about that. And then he asked for the chair. Too many chairs. So they died. <laughs> so he back cut a back on chair. the chairs. <laughs> uh, that's we a see Terry Billy's Funk. reference. Yeah, if anyone got that, congratulations. Uh, Terry Funk brands Cactus Jack with a branding iron. Uh, Shane Douglas throws down the NWA title. Public Enemy invites fans to the ring to dance, and the ring collapses. Lots of uh, lots of fan involvement in ECW. Which, you know, I think that goes to, they talk about their rabid fans. Like, ECW definitely is the closest point that the fans get, get to interact with the actual mm-hmm. wrestling. Yeah. Um... Back in the arena, the crowd is chanting ECW as Foley and Styles are speculating about whether or not the Invaders will be there. Um, our next match is a Lucha Libre match. Sakosis versus Rey Mysterio. These two have had a lot of matches over the years in ECW and in WCW. Um, and uh, Sakosis is going to come out wearing a mask, but he takes it off. Apparently, the first, it's weird, because he's definitely wrestled without a mask, but they say this is the first time he's ever voluntarily taken a mask off. And they say it's the show of respect for the crowd, but later the crowd chants for him to put the mask back on. Yeah, no, because a masked wrestler should never take off their mask. But that's one thing yes. with the WWE that I've noticed, is that you never get two masked wrestlers against each other. Um, one guy's face is always showing, y- usually anyway. Um, yeah. And I think it is sort of a, hmm, I, I'm not entirely sure why they do that. Sort of a stormtrooper effect kind of thing, I guess. So, you know, you got to be able to see the face of, of one person to identify them, maybe? Who knows? Hmm. I don't know. I I don't know what the reason was behind it. Um, I think both of them were made to take off their masks when they were in WCW, because WCW really loves making fucking people take their masks off. The masks are cool. Allow the masks to stay. It's almost like a slap in the face to, like, Hispanic wrestling culture to me. Yeah, no, I t- totally could see that. Um, Rey Mysterio comes out in his WWE music and attire. I I wish he had, you know, worn his ECW 
close. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the announcer even adds a junior to his name because he used to be Rey Mysterio Jr. Um, back in ECW. Uh, as Styles said, these two have wrestled over 300 times. Three of those were in ECW. Uh, Rey Mysterio has won two of those matches. Um, a funny moment happens when Sakosis puts Ray in a sleeper hold and the crowd starts booing. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they don't want to see that. They want to see the crazy lucha stuff. Right, right. Uh, and we do get a little bit of that, uh, like when Sakosis puts Mysterio on the guardrail and jumps off the top rope with a leg drop to the back of Mysterio's head that sends him flipping over. Um. Uh, Psychosis misses a charge in the corner and goes flying into the crowd. And Mysterio jumps off the top ropes and he top rope and hits a seated senton in the crowd. Um, when we're in the ring, Rey Mysterio hits the six one nine and the crowd boos because that that was his WWE move. He didn't start doing that till the WWE. Oh wow! And then he falls that up with the springboard Hurricane Rana, and the crowd cheers because that was his ECW finisher. Okay, and that's fine, but I feel like you can't boo the six one nine. The six one nine's great. Mm-hmm. I the six one nine is really cool, but I I do I do get basically they're booing anything that's WWE. Um, and I guess you know we've talked about it before, but for those who may not have heard, the six one nine is when Ray it's like his classic move. Uh, where he swings around the ropes on the outside to come back in. Uh, hard to describe in words, just a very cool move. Uh, look it up on YouTube if you've never seen Rey Mysterio do the 619. Um, as Rey is celebrating, the anti-ECW guys from SmackDown take their seats in the balcony. It's going to be Kurt Angle, JBL, Orlando Jordan, Carlito, Matt Morgan, and the Basham brothers. So, Kurt Angle, Bradshaw, and... Um, the uh, the B team, yeah, yeah, Kurt Angle, Bradshaw, and some faces. Mm-hmm. Well, some heels. Oh yeah. Oh man. Oh good. God, that's good pun work. Uh, this is when the crowd is like cussing them out, and they're trying to bleep them out, and they eventually just stop. Um, they chant, "You suck dick and fuck you, SmackDown." <laughs> Uh, which I like uh, Kurt Angle's response to the You Suck Dick chant is, Your mom taught me how. Which, okay. Your mom taught... Okay, that's... I get, like, the your mom insult, but it's you're still admitting that you suck dick and that someone's mother was like, here's how you suck a dick. Yeah, that you couldn't even figure it out. Yeah. Um, JBL is like, I got a ticket, you little Mexican, to Rey Mysterio. Um... Because that was kind of Bradshaw's gimmick, is that he hated Mexicans. Yeah, it's almost as if we've elected... <laughs> we've elected My God. Bradshaw. Have we elected John Bradshaw Layfield? Yes. Jesus. Um, Joey Styles says, please roll anything. And they try to put something up with Danny Doring and Roadkill, but it cuts back out to the arena. Yeah, I couldn't uh, tell if that was a technical goof or if that was meant to happen, but it was weird either way. Yeah. Um, the funny uh, thing I should mention about Kurt Angle is that Kurt Angle actually, when he was first getting into the wrestling business, because he's, uh, uh, he's from Pittsburgh, and so he was invited to an ECW show one time, and he actually mentions this briefly in a, in a promo that he does. He came to an ECW show 
but he walked out and he told Paul Heyman not to show any footage of him uh, at the event because he thought it was so horrible. Oh my god! Because he's well. Okay, I will say what to what was so offensive to him. I do kind of understand because it was the show where they crucified a man on a cross. Okay, but also Kurt, have some fun. <laughs> They they put a man on a on a cross. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's fucking right as hell. Um, and it's it it was a it was a segment that they actually had to apologize for. Um, uh, we finally get some more ECW memories like the Dudleys nine one one choke slamming Bill Alfonso, Steve Austin doing a very hilarious impression of Eric Bischoff, Jerry Lawler invading. Chris Benoit getting his nickname as the Crippler when he literally breaks Sabu's neck. Oh, yeah. You yikes. saw that one where he drops Sabu. They like replayed it a couple times. He oh, yeah. He yeah. Sabu on his head and he actually broke his neck. Oh, he actually for real broke his neck there? Yes. Uh, yeah, because it, I mean, it looked like he would. Um, um, but. Uh, we see Tommy Dreamer pile drive uh, his future wife, Beulah McGillicuddy. <laughs> Uh, Beulah, they do a pregnancy angle, uh, and Taz makes Shane Douglas tap out in five minutes. We're back out to the SmackDown Invaders, and Joel Gertner comes out. Do you remember Joel Gertner from our ECW Heatwave show? I vaguely do. He looked vaguely familiar. He was the guy who would come out with the Dudleys and basically say a bunch of stuff about his dick. Ah, yeah, because, okay, I will say... Our ECW show was um, getting close to being uh, about a year ago, so, you know, I, I got the memory of a goldfish over here. Yeah, that's that's true. I just thought it was weird they involved Joel Gertner in this, like, of all people. It was like, they really did, you know, bring back everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, they kick him out pretty quickly, uh, and then they start running down uh, ECW. JBL says he... One block away, he sells out Madison Square Garden while ECW can barely fill up a bingo hall. I'd say it looks pretty filled up today, though. Yeah, and I think that if you would have booked this at Madison Square Garden, you would have gotten a similar thing. But I think that there's some significance to booking it at a smaller venue just because of ECW's history. Mm-hmm. Um, JBL starts calling everyone fat. JBL says he's a wrestling god, and Kurt Angle takes off his shirt for some reason. Well, and there's this um, this kind of running theme here between, like, ECW guys don't look like bodybuilders because they're wrestlers. And I can yeah. totally see that because, like, uh, WWE guys are pretty much – I mean, I don't want to say this, but they're, they might all be on steroids. Um, Vince loves big dudes. Yeah. They're, they're big guys with very well-defined muscles, whereas I could probably wrestle in the ECW <laughs> – yeah, I mean, heck, have you seen how out of shape some of these guys like Balls Mahoney are? <laughs> um, finally, JBL's mic gets cut off, and uh, Rob Van Dam comes out with Bill Alfonso. He's wearing a knee brace because he uh, he's still out uh, injured because he, he uh, hurt his knee. Uh, and so Rob Van Dam's coming out, and we hadn't seen him in, in a long time at this point because he ended up being out for a long time. Like, over a year, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, 
And this is one. This was like his first appearance in a while, and even then, it's not in a wrestling uh, role. Yeah, it is cool uh, though that like even the people like you know Mick Foley here that aren't gonna wrestle that are, that or probably don't want to or can't or Steve Austin uh, as we'll see later, but you still get to be a part of it. Yeah, uh, RVD. I mean, this was his idea, and you can't have an ECW show without Rob Van Dam. Um, one of the most successful guys in ECW's later years especially. Uh, he held the world television title for over a year and only dropped it because of an injury. Um, unfortunately, never won the world title in the original ECW. But um, Rob Van Dam gets out here and basically starts doing a shoot interview, though. Uh, he even says, like, there's no, there's no creative geniuses writing my script tonight. Yeah, I like when he's talking about, remember when uh, Rod Van Dam could say more than two words? Yeah. Uh, he calls himself the whole fucking show, so our first F-bomb by a member of the talent. Um, the crowd is chanting for RVD. He talks about how he brought the idea to Vince. Uh, he was so excited, but then he had to have knee surgery. He says, missing this show sucks worse than the tour in Japan, Res- missing WrestleMania. And missing Booker T's wedding, which I was like, damn, all right. Yeah, wow. But, it kind of seems like you just didn't want to go to Booker T's wedding. I heard Booker T's feelings. Yeah, it kind of uh, seems like Booker T called you up and was really excited. and wanted, It was like, hey, come to my wedding, please, RVD. And you're like, oh, I would, but uh, this leg of I mine. Mean, and unless it was like the same day or like immediately after the surgery, I mean... You could still go to the wedding, right? Yeah, like, shit, bring us some crutches. I don't know. Maybe maybe he couldn't travel. Um, well, that's when Rhino comes out of nowhere and gores the shit out of RVD. Just spears him, like, right out of his damn... Yeah, can't make it to Booker T's wedding, but you can get speared by Rhino, can't you? Mm-hmm. Uh... RVD looks like he's going to wrestle uh, Rhino, but then the lights go out, and when they come back on, Sabu is in, when they come back on, Undertaker's in the ring. Uh, <laughs> no, Sabu is in the ring. Sabu is uh, Rhino's uh, for, former, or not Rhino's, is RVD's former partner. I will say this: they did not. They fortunately let Bill Alfonso come out without a whistle, and I am so glad. Oh, I thought he had the whistle. He may have. I but heard it was a whistle. Not, he it just was didn't... not as bad as it normally would be. Yeah, no, he didn't. Uh, he didn't lay into it like he normally does, but he had one. So we've got ourselves an impromptu match here. The crowd chants, "You got fired at Rhino," because that is true. He did recently get fired by the WWE. Weird that um, they would allow him to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that was weird. Uh, a lot of these guys. This was kind of their last show before they like went to TNA or something. But and so I don't think Rhino was with TNA because I definitely wouldn't have let him on then. But I think Rhino's about to go to TNA. Um, but yeah, it is weird that he was still on the show. Maybe it was like some sort of like that he had already agreed to the show before he was let go, so they just like let him have one more. Yeah, thing. I mean, it, I don't know. It almost feels like the WWE just financed this, and that was it. Hmm. Uh, we this is our kind of our first. Uh, hardcore match we'd start getting a lot of weapons in here of course sabu getting a chair i love the way sabu uses the chair less like a like a 
like a melee weapon and more like a launching pad. I'm sorry. I, I missed something very important that I needed to talk about. Just that Bill Alphonse calls RVD daddy. He did? Yeah, he called him daddy. Wait, can you give me a full sentence? I I just have it in my notes. I remember him saying it. It was like he was like agreeing with him. He's like, that's right, daddy. It was weird. I think this was I think this was before daddy culture. Uh, I'm going to say that Bill Alphonse started daddy culture. You also realize it's Bill Alfonso, right? Ah, uh, yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So, uh, anyway, like I was saying, I like how Sabu uses the chair as a launching pad. Like, he, he sets it up, like, in a seated position, r- runs to it, jumps on it and then jumps to the ropes and 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 springboards off of it. I've always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I also dope. like how he just throws it sometimes. Instead of swinging it, he just throws it at people's faces. Well, that's like, okay. Uh, and I know you haven't played this this game, but for those of you out there that might have played Breath of the Wild, you know how you can just throw your sword at things? Same concept. Um so Rhino's going to try for a gore on Sabu, but Sabu pulls the ref in the way. Rhino pile drives Sabu. That's when RVD comes in the ring and slams a chair into Rhino's face, follows it up by drop kicking it into Rhino's face in the corner. That had to hurt his knee, right? I thought you had. I thought you had a, like a fucked up knee. How are you going to be drop kicking chairs? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I would be saying if I was Booker T. <laughs> uh, tell me, you did not just say that. <laughs> Um, RVD and Alfonso set up a table in the middle of the ring. They put Rhino on it. Rhino leg drops the chair from the top rope onto Rhino through the table, and he ends up getting the three count. Uh, fun little little hardcore moment there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, we're going to go backstage to Al Snow, who's arguing with Head. Uh, good old Al Snow and Head, man. Yeah, yeah. Um... One of those gimmicks that, you know, and I, I previously, I was I was very against it. I'm, I'm coming around on it, too. Um, but so it, you, you like Head now? I do. I kind of I do like Head now. I, it's one of those things that, like, makes, it's like, how did this ever get over? But I'm glad that it did. I'm appreciating the sillier side of wrestling nowadays. I'm glad. Uh Speaking of the sillier side of wrestling, he shows us another ECW Memories package that shows the Blue World Order, um, along with some other no, fun I stuff. Don't. Like- okay, okay. I know I just said I'm appreciating the sillier side of wrestling, but I do still hate the Blue Meanie. Just the Blue Meanie or the whole Blue World Order? I mean, yeah, the whole thing, but just specifically the Blue Meanie. It's like, hey, you know what would be fun to make fun of? The New World Order. Okay, I'm for it. I like it. They're the biggest thing in wrestling right now. We should definitely make fun of them. Okay, well, what if it was the same thing, but we just like the color blue? Yeah, because of the one character we have named after the villain from the Yellow Submarine movie. Yeah, I don't... I don't really... I don't... I don't really... I don't really follow at all. Yeah, me neither, man. And also, they have Steven Richards be the leader... And call him Big Stevie Cool, like after Big Daddy Cool, which was uh, which was which was Kevin Nash, who was not really the leader of the New World Order. That was Hulk Hogan. Yeah, 
that's just weird and bad. I don't like it. Uh, but anyway, we see lots of other cool things like Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow going through the ring. Raven using Sandman's son against him. Taz and Bigelow going through the ramp. Sabu crashing into the barbed wire and ripping open his bicep. Uh, which he then went backstage and crazy glued together. God damn. Taz choking out 911 and then Taz and Sabu. You are right. There are uh there are kind of a lot of these uh tribute packages. Yeah. And it okay, here's my other thing is that they're they're all the same. They're all just like strung together memories. Like if it actually had I don't know There's if no it theme. was done if it was done a little bit differently if it, like like, I get the one where it was like, these are all the guys who passed away. I get it. Now, like, why don't you show me, like, something that's like, oh, here's all the best promos. Or, like, here's all the most extreme, like, give me something. Not just like, oh, here, we slapped together a bunch of unrelated things together. Yeah, and like, just hole. sort of, I always hate the, hey, remember this? For the sake of, of doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, everyone watching this, who's not me, remembers these things. Why else would they be watching the ECW tribute show? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just, if it was done differently, I, I would have been okay with it. I mean, it's not, it's not going to like make or break the show. No, no, it's it still a great show. show. It's just like, like I said, you could have, you could have fit more matches in. You know, you could have, or, or like you said, theme the packages around something. Um, but they're they go on a bit long and they're completely disjointed. Yeah, uh, the Raw Invaders are going to come out next. Uh, the Raw guys are going to be Eric Bischoff, Edge, Christian, William Regal, and some other guys. Uh, yeah, Maven, Tomko, Gene Snitsky, Rob Conway, and Jonathan Coachman. So at least they had a few more notable well, names. Do you have to Google that, or were you able to spot them all? No, I, I could tell, because uh, I watched them come out one by one, and I remember it, because I was watching wrestling at this time, so I, I know who everybody is. Gotcha. Uh, they're going to come out, and Styles says something really funny. He says, there's Edge. Glad I didn't bring my wife tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, and let me mention, this is before Matt Hardy comes back, and this is before he's paired with Lita on air. Oh, so really? Joey Styles is making a reference to something that's not WWE canon at the at that point, and they're going to make a lot of references to it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's some like wonderful bleed over from that to this. Yeah. And it's, yeah, but, like, literally, Matt Hardy has just been fired. Uh, they're not, Lita is still with Kane. So, Edge and Lita are not, Lita is still a face at this point. Lita's not even a heel. Right. So, they're, yeah, that is, like, Edge, so if you're watching this and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, you have no idea what that comment means. Right, right. And uh, if you are listening to this and you don't know what that comment means, go back a couple of weeks and listen to our Matt Hardy versus Edge episode, and you can hear all about it. Um, our next match of the night is going to be Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero, and this is going to be where I kind of talk about how there are some things that you may not see right at the surface that are going on um, that I'll talk about here. Um, so... We talked about this a little bit before we started, but this is kind of a 
interesting match to watch considering Eddie Guerrero, this is in June of 2005, Eddie Guerrero is going to die in November of 2005, um, whereas Chris Benoit is going to die in June of 2007. So Chris Benoit is only going to be with us for two years. Eddie Guerrero is only going to be with us for a few more months. And uh, um, if you don't know about the circumstances surrounding Chris Benoit's death, uh, you know, assuming that you just picked this podcast up and this is your first episode of it and you've never heard about wrestling, um, he murdered his family and it's not good. Um, these two broke into the business together. They're best friends. Um, and they've had lots of great matches together. They've, they both were in ECW, but never at the same time and never got to wrestle each other in ECW. They eventually went to WCW. Then they went to WWE together. So these guys, their careers are kind of intertwined. Joey Styles and, and Mick Foley talk about it, and they're really hyping up this match as, like, being something great. Unfortunately, this match was very disappointing for what it should have been. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It, it, I think that these guys just wrestled too similar to put on an interesting match, honestly. Well, I actually don't think it is that. I think these guys can and have put on good matches. The problem is... Eddie Guerrero is in a bad mood during this match. Oh, really? He actually, even you can see him at the end of the match when it ends, he apologizes. Um, he gets really pissed off um, because the fans get so distracted with the Raw and SmackDown invaders in this match that they're not paying attention to the match, and so it pisses him off. Uh, he's also in this weird moment where he's a heel because this is right in the middle of the dominant custody storyline right so he's like trying to play a heel but like it's out of context so he's like kind of like i don't know what to do um he also gets his nose busted open early in the match that was part of what pissed him off um you'll notice at the end of the show when all the ecw guys come to the ring eddie guerrero's the only one not there it's because he left early um, oh damn! So Eddie's just in a bad mood during this match. So that's part of why this match is not as good as it as it should have or could have been. Um, yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, the the when they're chanting at Bischoff, I was like, this is taking me out of the match. Um, yeah, that does suck. Uh, yeah, and that Eddie Guerrero's a great wrestler. I hate that he got done that way. Mm-hmm. The fans are bothering him because it's just not a crowd he's used to performing in front of anymore. Right, um, and I, that I totally could see that the ECW crowd is one that could sort of conjole you a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 crowd they're not only chanting it; they're the main chants we're hearing. I don't know if you heard them. They're chanting a lot about Lita, of all people, who's not even fucking there. Yeah, what the hell? Uh, you get okay? They they say I fuck or I fucked Lita. They're chanting Lita's got herpes. Which I hate because, like, Lita's not there. Edge is there. And Edge is just as a bastard as Lita, or probably more so because he was married. Yeah, and, like, okay, you shouldn't shouldn't chant that about women even if they're bad. Yeah, I know. It's it's rough. I agree. I agree. And it's, again, it's one of those things they couldn't do anything 100% authentic. It's it's just annoying. And they start chanting, you screwed Matt, so the fans are just not really paying attention to this match. Which, um, I mean, I guess, I, I don't really know if you could have anticipated that, but they should have known that these fans knew. I mean, clearly, they did, because we get some, some mentions to Matt Hardy later. 
But uh, it just maybe they shouldn't have brought Edge out like that. It's a unpredict. Well, I don't think I think people didn't realize how much people knew about that. Yeah, maybe so. Um, because the internet, I'm not gonna say the internet was new, but like as far as like people keeping up with stuff 24 seven, that was a kind of a new concept. Yeah, it's just um, this crowd specifically because they're so diehard. It's an die entirely hard. different crowd, and it's not a crowd that they've performed in front of a lot, and it's a, it's especially not a crowd that Benoit and Guerrero have performed in front of a lot because they wrestled in ECW like in the '90s, like before they were doing pay per views and stuff. So they were just they're not ECW guys, really. They they had a little startup in ECW, but they're they're WCW and WWE guys way before they're ECW guys. Right, right. Um, but yeah, uh, they're chanting "fuck you, Bischoff." Um, Coachman is playfully covering Eric Bischoff's ears. Um, believe it or not, uh, we get a steel chair in this match. <laughs> Eddie hits Benoit on the back with a steel chair. Um. At one point, he attempts a frog splash, but Benoit rolls out of the way. Uh, Benoit's going to hit the uh, the triple German suplexes, the flying headbutt. Eddie's going to kick out of that, but he's going to go for a clothesline, and Benoit's going to counter into the crossfades. Eddie stays in the hold for like 30 seconds, and then he taps out. Um, the SmackDown guys stand up and applaud, and they're pointing to their shirts uh, because both Benoit and Eddie are, are on SmackDown. So it's kind of like a way of saying, oh, yeah, there's our SmackDown pride. And then that's when Eddie kind of mouths an apology to Benoit <laughs> for how this match went. Aww. Um, so, yeah, no, kind of a disappointing ch- – I mean, it wasn't a horrible match, but these guys should have put on much, much better. Uh, but there's just too much going on that they just they weren't gonna they weren't gonna have anything that great, right? And if you, I could totally see where if you're not you know sort of on the level if if you don't have that ECW energy as well, where ECW fans could really piss you off. Yeah, they're gonna do a promo for Vengeance WWE's next pay per view. So you know I guess they still have to promote their WWE shit, huh? <laughs> yeah, I. Thought that was kind of wild myself. Um, Joel Gertner's going to come back and ask Bischoff for a job. Bischoff spits out his beer. He says, hell no. Kicks him out. Runs down the fans. Calls them scabs. He says they don't have the class to come to Monday Night Raw. Throws his beer at Joel Gertner and says ECW sucks. Um, now, I do say, gotta, I do think that, like, okay. This is an interesting part of where the crowd gets to actually really actively participate in the story. Because if you're a member of the crowd, you know that everything that these guys are saying is, you know, like a, a bit. Like, that's yeah. it's all the storyline. But the crowd still gets really hot and, like, you know, uh, with their chants and everything. And I think that that is kind of fun that the crowd gets to interact in that way. It is a bit, but also it's not because, like, Eric Bischoff really does hate ECW. Oh, yeah, that I mean, is the true. The things he's saying are, like, true. Like, JBL really does think, like, it, there's some truth in some of what they're saying. J- Jerry Lawler used to talk shit about ECW, and he play a heel, but Jerry Lawler legitimately believed that, you know, ECW was like a bunch of, you know, low, it was like a low-life promotion. Really? Like, he thought it was 
crappy, extremely crappy wrestling is what he called it. Wow. Now, probably not to the extent of what his character said. I mean, he probably was like, yeah, the like he probably had respect for the guys, but I mean, at the end of the day, he probably, you know, he thought ECW was dumb. Huh. Um, our next match is probably going to be the match of the night, in my opinion. Um, Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka, which on our ECW Heatwave show, we watched another match that they did. Um, this is the only match on the card that doesn't have at least one of the guys be a WWE contracted wrestler. Which, um, I don't know why they did not sign Tanaka. I love Tanaka. I think Tanaka was just too... I don't think he had any interest in being in WWE. I think he wanted to do his own thing. And he didn't... He, You know... Mike Awesome did wrestle for WWE some. Uh, but never, never got really anywhere. I don't think Tanaka ever wrestled for WWE. I think this is like his only technical... Like, technically, his only WWE match. Well, he wrestles again at the next one-night stand. No, but I feel like Mike but, um, Awesome and Lance Storm, to a certain extent, are kind of in the same vein of, like, you could do really well in ECW, but but in WWE, it just doesn't work out as well. Yeah. Um, But these two have had a lot of great matches, really hardcore stuff. Um, they just beat the shit out of each other. They've wrestled all over the world, traded the ECW title back and forth. And Tanaka is a guy, It's the ECW really would give like guys who w- normally wouldn't win a world title a chance. You know, somebody like Masato Tanaka, Mikey Whipwreck, Taz, are guys winning the ECW world title, and not something you would re- expect. Now, I'm sure you probably noticed, Joey Styles hates Mike Awesome. Oh yeah, he does. I, like, and let me explain to you why. He kind of touches on it, but doesn't go into extreme detail. So, Mike Awesome won the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Then he got an offer to go to WCW for a lot better money, and I'm not going to fault anybody for going somewhere with better money, especially from what I know of ECW. But he went with the championship. Uh, he didn't do anything crazy like Medusa did, where he you know dropped the belt in a garbage can. But he did go as the champion, and so ECW was left with no champion and a guy who jumped ship. Now, Joey Styles says that the only reason he did not trash the title on air was because of an injunction. Is that actually true, or is that just some flavor he's adding? I, I, I'd pro- it's probably true. Joey Styles sounds like he's shooting here. Yeah, he, he uh, really he's does. He's calling him a Judas and everything. I mean, he's, he's going too far at some point. It almost, I'm glad he stops eventually because it was going to ruin this match otherwise to hear Joey Styles just trash talk Mike Awesome um, for something that happened five years ago. And I do um, like that Foley the whole time's like, I I would have done that for the same money. I got kids. Yeah. Um, but Mike Awesome goes with the championship, which is like, I mean, he should have given notice. He should have, you know, he should have dropped the title. Like, I mean, you just don't do that. Um, so, in order to get the title back to ECW, something weird happens that's like this huge historical moment. So, remember I talked about WWE and, and ECW had a good working relationship? Yeah. Taz had already left ECW and started working with WWE. So, to get the ECW title back while Mike Awesome was in WCW, they reached some sort of crazy deal where the WWE lets Taz wrestle Mike Awesome... On ECW TV for the ECW, or not on TV, it was at a house show. 
So that is insane. A WWF wrestler wrestles a WCW wrestler for the ECW title and wins. That is insane, and I don't see like I don't see how you just don't say okay now the title is you know reset now we're gonna do like a tournament for the title or something like it's very weird to me that there is this sort of um you know because the rules don't really matter ever well because if you do if you do that like it's always gonna i mean you can do that and it's happened plenty of times before like wcw didn't want chris benoit to leave so they gave him the world title and but he quit the next day oh yikes um so you can do that but it's always going to give some illegitimacy to your championship and also it's a fucking awesome story like why they didn't just have a regular ecw wrestler do it i don't know maybe they thought that they might actually kill him uh you know and i kind of wonder if it was a middle ground like with bischoff where he was like he wasn't gonna let ecw get that sort of a, a thumb in their nose if you will but I mean, it's a cool historic moment that's like, I can't believe happened. Um, but yeah, Taz does end up winning the ECW title and even comes on. It, it puts ECW on a huge pedestal because Taz actually starts appearing in WWE a little bit with the ECW title. Has a pretty uh, big match with Triple H where they do like a champion versus champion kind of thing. So the ECW title, while it was active in ECW, was at one time, appearing on WWE TV. That um, is so crazy. Now, Taz ended up just being an, a, tr- a transitional champion and ends up dropping it to Tommy Dreamer pretty soon, but it was cra- a crazy, crazy moment. So, But apparently Joey Styles still holds a grudge against Mike Awesome for this. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that's putting it lightly. Uh, and, of course, Mike Awesome does not have that great of a career in WCW. They give him two gimmicks. One is the Fat Chick Thriller. Ugh. And one is that 70s guy. Yeah, I mean, but hey, for... But, okay, I, you could say, you could look at that and you could say, clearly it was a mistake for Mike Awesome to go to WCW. But for what they said was $200,000 up front and a million dollar contract, he probably got paid more during his entire time there in those two crappy gimmicks than he did in ECW ever. That is the thing about WCW, and it's why I think they might have lasted so long, is they paid their wrestlers good, so it wasn't like, you know... Like, that's how they were getting such good talent, because even though that maybe they weren't being booked so well, they were getting paid way more for way more guaranteed money, because the way WWE works, it's like, you only get paid if you wrestle kind of deal. Right, you're technically a contractor. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the way that normal people would say the sentence I just said. No, you said it in the layperson's way, and I said it in the business way. Um, there is one point in this match that is really harsh to look at in hindsight, where Mike Awesome does a suicide dive to Tanaka on the outside, and Styles says it's a shame he didn't take his own life. Yeah, which, that was like, damn, Styles, well, that is... It's it's even worse, because Mike Awesome does commit suicide. Oh, Jesus Christ. Later, uh, I think like a year or two later. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's... Whew. Uh, it almost makes me wonder if they cut that out of the network version of this show. I would imagine um, they probably did. Which, I, I hope they do, because... Whew. Man, a lot of dead guys in this show. Well, it is a wrestling show. Yeah, good point. 
let's see. I don't think there's too many. There's Guerrero, Benoit, Mike Awesome, Balls Mahoney is also dead. I think but, that's about it. But, well, and not to say a lot of dead guys in this show here in 2019, but a lot of dead guys in this show as soon as 2007. That's true, yeah. A lot of people don't last much longer after this show. Right, right. Um, so finally, Mike, or Joey Styles apologizes for losing his cool and he starts actually calling the match. Um, and we get some pretty brutal shit. Like, th- these guys are just doing spots, really. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's funny, like, the shit that they kick out of. Like, they're getting powerbombed through tables and, and getting two counts. And I do kind of like that this is the point that uh, some of the WWE guys like actually look like they're getting into it. Um, and I think that's especially fun considering that, you know, like you said, neither of these guys are WWE. And I don't know how Tanaka still, because I think he's still wrestling to this day. I don't know how the dude didn't have concussions, because are you watching the chair shots he's taking? Yeah, they're brutal. Directly to the head. And he's like not even, not at one point... He hits him three times, and he keeps getting back up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the way they use tables in this match. Like, he props it up against the barricade and then power bombs him through it. Um, and Mike Awesome has this really unique style where he's, like, both, like, a like a powerhouse and a high flyer. Right. He's doing, like, springboard moves. And power bombs and smashing people through things, pretty like that's the thing with with being the okay. A lot of high flyers like Rey Mysterio, five six, a hundred sixty pounds, hundred seventy pounds, very light guy. You know, if if Rey Mysterio flies into you, I'm not saying it's not going to hurt, but it's not going to look like it does as much. Mike Awesome's a big dude, so for him to be doing this sort of acrobatic stuff. There's quite literally a lot more weight behind it. Yeah, Mike Awesome's like almost two Rey Mysterios. Yes! Two um, Rey Mysterios in a trench coat creates a Mike Awesome. <laughs> That's a very funny visual. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, Tanaka's getting some cool stuff in here, too, though. He hits a Tornado DDT on top of two chairs. Um, he puts a chair on, his, on Awesome's face and elbow drops another chair onto the chair, onto his face. Yeah. Very um, creative table chair usage. And Mike Awesome even jumps off. Uh, he hits a flying chair shot where he comes off the top rope and hits him with the chair. Which is um, sick. We get a table out. Uh, a Tanaka Tornado DDT's Awesome through the table. Um... Mike Awesome is going to powerbomb him, like, on what remains of the table. Uh, the crowd is giving them a standing ovation. They chant, this match rules. Um, finally, Mike Awesome powerbombs Tanaka over the top rope and through a table on the outside. And then he jumps over the top rope and onto Tanaka and pins him on the floor. Um, really fun. Like, I think this was the best match of the night, and one of the most, probably the most hardcore match of the night, too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and it was very quintessentially ECW. It was very much in their wheelhouse, and and uh, a great tribute to ECW. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Mike Awesome powerbombs the referee. I don't really know what that was about, but he does. Um... 
And then Paul Heyman's going to come out to the ring. Um, the crowd chants, thank you, Paul. He's really emotional, but he says he's not crying. His eyes are just red because he was smoking a joint with RVD, <laughs> which I can't believe is something they got away with on a WWE show. But, but I mean, this whole thing is crazy that they got away with it on a WWE show. Yeah. Um, Paul Heyman is, he says he's just going to thank everyone and leave, but then he decides he has to say something to the invaders, and he starts just going off on them. He calls Bischoff a bitch. He says, to Ed, he says hide your wives, it's Edge. <laughs> the fans start chanting, you screwed Matt. He says he has two words for him, Matt freaking Hardy. And then Edge, like, spits out his beard, and he looks at JBL, and he's like, that was three words. <laughs> Uh, he says something. He's, he says to JBL, he's like, since you want to shoot, cowboy, the only reason you were WWE champ for a year is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. <laughs> Tuesday being the day SmackDown is taped. Um, which is kind of another kayfabe break because WWE would not really like to acknowledge that SmackDown is not live. Really? Um, I See, I never realized it was taped, honestly. I always thought it was live. It's live now. It's. I didn't realize it was taped either so one time i went to a smackdown show on a tuesday and i didn't realize it was going to be on tv so i wasn't and when i found out it was on tv i was like oh shit nice um a jbl starts doing the samford and son thing and he's like elizabeth i'm coming for you um and then Heyman finally finishes off by saying, this ain't WCW, this ain't Monday Night Raw, this ain't SmackDown, this ain't even WWE, this is EC fucking W. Which, yeah, I just, the crowd is super hyped to see Paul Heyman. Um, the, our main event of the night is going to be the Dudley Boys versus Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman. What a great, great perfect main event for an ECW show because these guys are all like real ECW products the Dudleys coming out even though they're in their WWE music they have that classic ECW tie-dye style on Uh, as Joey Styles uh, mentions the Dudleys are the only team to win the WWE ECW and WCW tag team championships and also uh, after this TNA and NWA wow um the most decorated tag team in history. That is amazing. Uh, um, Tommy Dreamer comes out. Uh, T- Tommy Dreamer's like the quintessential ECW guy. Is like if you had to like picture ECW, right? It He's would be the, Tommy Dreamer, the uh, John Cena of ECW. Yeah, I mean, I might call him like the Hulk Hogan. Yeah, better. Um, Foley says this is going to be the biggest moment in Tommy Dreamer's life. Tommy Dreamer, you know, despite, you know, being a quintessential ECW guy, only won the ECW world title one time in the original ECW, and he, he lost it the same night. Oh, man. Uh, but I guess he's kind of like one of those guys that never really needed a title. Um, the Dudleys show respect for him by clapping for Tommy Dreamer as he comes to the ring. Um... Styles says, you know, while he may be the voice of ECW and Paul Heyman is the brains, Dreamer is the heart, soul, and guts. Metallica's Inner Sandman plays, which is crazy, because, see, ECW used to not care about copyright or licensing, so they would play whatever, and so that would be his music. 
which I'm glad we're not watching this on the WWE Network, because if you watch it on the WWE Network, this entrance is not the same. Yeah, I had a feeling it wouldn't be. Uh, they just replace it with the generic music he used in WWE. Well, but then how do you go over the crowd singing Inner Sandman? I can't remember what they do, if they maybe edit it out or something, but it, it I mean, it's it's clearly not the same. Yeah, I had a feeling Metallica didn't sign off on this one. Yeah, I don't know how they got it on this WWE show. I know in ECW they just didn't care, and they weren't on TV that often anyway. But it's cool. I'm glad that they had it um, because the crowd is literally singing along. And, uh, uh, and they sing the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, they do. Well, because he has a long entrance. Uh, but it's fun. He's drinking beer. He busts his own forehead open by smashing the can on his head as he comes to the crowd. He's already got a Singapore cane with him. Sandman is an interesting character because Sandman is not a good wrestler at all. Um, but he's like an ECW staple. And, man, I just really don't know what to say about Sandman. Just good at weapons, I guess? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Like, Sabu's not really a great wrestler either. He can do some high spots, but he fucks them up most of the time. Yeah. Sandman is fun to watch for sure. But yeah, I mean, he's not going to. Like, when they had tried to put him in WWE, I don't know what they were thinking because it was never going to work. Um, uh, especially considering, like, he's, his finishing moves are named after, like, mixed drinks and drugs. <laughs> uh, they uh, do this weird thing where they suck beer off a woman's boobs. Yeah, the beer titty ritual was very strange. Um, it, they, they find a woman in the crowd, pour beer on her titties, and then rub their face into the titties. They do this twice. Yeah, the other one is an ECW alumnus, Electra, actually. Ah. Um, gross. S- Sandman jerks off his cane. Also gross. Uh... We're in the ring, and all four guys fist bump each other. And this is, like, the weird part is that, like, this match doesn't get started for a while because they, like, they're like, okay, we got to get everybody else who wanted to be here on the show, so let's quickly get everyone out here. Yeah, let's parade everyone around. Because the Blue World Order comes out, and Joey Styles just thinks it's so funny for some reason. God, I hate I mean, he's, like, he's, like, laughing maniacally. At a gimmick, I just don't get the Blue World Order. No, me neither. And he was like, it made so much money. It was so great. And they couldn't even get us for it because it was parody. And I'm like, it's not that good. Yeah, it's like they weren't even that much of a Like they didn't do that much to parody the New World Order other than like having their names. Like they don't really look like them. Like Blue, like, okay, Nova kind of does look like Hogan. That's the one example. But Stevie Richards does not look like Kevin Nash, and Blue Meanie sure as hell doesn't look like Scott Hall. (laughs) Uh, They don't do the same. There's nothing about them that's like the NWO. Um, Anyway, they come out and they say that they're taking over. They start brawling with everyone. Kid Cash comes out to the ring. I don't know what he has to do with any of these guys. Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney come to the ring, and they start smashing chairs. There is a funny moment where Nova gets hit in the head with a chair, and uh, Joey Styles says, that's more painful than having to be Simon Dean on national TV, because Nova also played a character 
called Simon Dean, who was like this fitness instructor gimmick. (laughs) Um, Eventually, Kid Cash springboards off the top rope onto literally everyone. And then finally, the match starts. Um, uh, We start getting some fun weapons like road signs, trash cans, and a fucking cheese grater. Yeah, no, I love Foley through this whole match. He calls Bubba Ray Dudley uh, a cheap Cactus Jack knockoff, but then follows it by saying, but he's a damn good Cactus Jack knockoff. <laughs> I know, Mick Foley is so good in this show. Mick Foley just, he can't be mean. Uh, he says one funny thing. He's he's like, he tells his son at home, he's like, don't get any ideas. Don't take mom's cheese grater out of the drawer. Dreamer's... <laughs> uh, ends up bleeding like crazy in this match and Bubba wipes the blood on his face. Uh I wonder I, I really don't know is like when they use a cheese grater or something like this are they actually using the cheese grater to make him bleed or is like or, or is he blading and then they're just using the cheese grater? Or it kind of looks like, like he's just pushing it. the cheese grater on his head and then he's blading cuz I was kind of trying mm-hmm. to look for that too. That's what I personally saw, but I can't be sure because okay I was peeling a carrot the other day, and I accidentally peeled off a piece of my finger. Let me tell you, that shit hurts. Yeah, I, I think it would. And also leaves, like, a pretty nasty, like, like, you know, wound with skin and stuff on it. There are a lot of guys, like, Devon, if you look really close at Devon's head, it's, it's fucked up. Because of how many times he's bladed and bladed, like, too hard. Mm. Like he's got, like, dents. There's this one wrestler called Abdullah the Butcher... Who like does this party trick where he can put coins in his in his blade holes, like the dents Jesus in his forehead? He can hold a coin Christ. in. Um, but I digress. Um, uh, the there's a Styles says the sickest part is that, of this is that these four guys love each other. <laughs> um, we use a ladder. Dreamer puts it on his head and starts spinning around. Um. The Singapore cane comes into play. <laughs> Weirdly, Sandman and Dreamer lock in simultaneous figure four leg locks in the middle of a damn hardcore match. <laughs> the Impact players come out. Uh, just incredible pile drive Sandman on a ball of barbed wire, which I don't know what you use that for. What do you use a ball of barbed wire for? Well, uh, have let me throw these words at you. Extreme kickball. If you had said extreme dodgeball, then I could have gotten behind it. Okay, what about danger tumbleweed? <laughs> danger tumbleweed. I like that. That's basically what that is. <laughs> um, and then uh, Lance Storm and Just Incredible are restraining Dreamer while Francine comes out and kicks Dreamer in the balls. Buell McGillicuddy, who is Tommy Dreamer's wife, comes in and she starts rolling around with Francine while Styles screams, "Cat fight!" Yeah, that was gross. Uh, that was another one of his catchphrases. Ah. Um, yeah, the women in ECW were all like eye, ca- eye candy for sure. Yeah, they, they never Though there really was got... that one time Buell McGillicuddy beat the shit out of Bill Alfonso and made him bleed all over the damn place. Okay, but that is pretty good. I, I do like that. I'd have to watch that one at some point. <laughs> um, uh... Dreamer and Beulah end up, like, uh, kicking everyone's ass and hit a double DDT. 
they kiss and hug in the middle of the ring. Joey Styles says, this is the most emotional moment I would never let my kids watch. <laughs> the crowd chants, she's hardcore. I do think it's funny that when they hit the simultaneous DDTs and pin, the ref is counting as if, like, Beulah pinning Devon would, would count. Yeah. Even though she's not in the match. Um, there's this part where Sandman puts a cro- uh, puts a chair on Devon's crotch, and Dreamer hits it with a road sign. And Joey Styles says he just crushed the man's balls. And then there's a brief silence, and Joey Styles says, "I'm being told I have to apologize for saying balls. I'm very sorry I offended anybody by saying balls." <laughs> I thought that was a very funny, funny bit. There. Yeah, because a big thing with WWE and commentators is that. Vince McMahon is like constantly in your ear telling you shit. Yeah, God, imagine how annoying that is. To plug and say. Imagine how bad it is to constantly hear Vince McMahon. That's like the worst version of schizophrenia, is you just have Vince McMahon's voice talking to you. Here's an extreme example. Here's an extreme example is on the in WWE when Owen Hart died in a accident when he was he was being lowered from the ceiling on a harness. He fell and he he ended up dying. Um, they didn't know that right away, and they continued on with the show. And when he did die, they, they had been giving Jim Ross updates, and they would come back to him, and he would tell them about the condition. And then their technical director gets in JR's ear, and he says, Hey, JR, uh, when we come out of this package, we're gonna, uh, you're going to give an update on Owen's condition. And JR says, Well, I don't know what his condi- condition is. And Kevin Dunn, the technical director, says, He's dead, JR. And we're back in 10, 9. Oh, my God. And so JR had 10 seconds to figure out how he was going to announce his friend's death live on the air. Oh my god. Yeah. It's it's on there and you can watch it and I, I was recently listening to a podcast with him where he talks about him rewatching his announcement for the very first time. It's chilling for sure. Yeah, that is a nightmare. So, that just came into my head when we were talking about people talking in people's ears. Um Eventually, Devon, we get tables out for the first time, and Devon powerbombs Sandman through the table, covers, Sandman kicks out. The Dudleys hit a 3D on Dreamer. Bubba gets another table, and that's when Spike Dudley comes to the ring. The crowd is chanting LSD because he used to go by Matt LSD Heisen. Uh, I like that Like the Dudleys were like this much larger cast of characters, and they eventually just whittled themselves down to three. Yeah, and now uh, down to two, right? Am I am I mistaken about that? Uh, Spike Dud- Spike Dudley was kind of always the one. He never really teamed with them consistently, so he would kind of come in and out. So I'd still consider Spike Dudley a Dudley. Okay, yeah, but no, I love like he's like the scrappy dude. There, are, depending on what show you watch, there's just a, like of the quantum Dudleys. There are tons of them, or like three of them. Yeah, in ECW, it was always a whole bunch, but once they moved on, it really just became the three. Um, but Spike brings out some lighter fluid, and they pour a whole bunch of it on the damn table. Yeah. Light it on fire and powerbomb him through the flaming table, and Dreamer is convulsing as the crowd chants, holy shit. Yeah, a flaming table spot, such a good way to, to bring this home. Oh, for sure. Uh, Bubba pins Dreamer for the three count, gets the win. Uh, it's not over here. The Dudleys grab Beulah, but Sandman saves her and hits her with some cane shots. What a good friend, saving saving your friend's wife from being attacked. 
for four guys who love each other, it's kind of odd that they would beat up a man's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sandman is checking on Dreamer. He says, somebody get me a beer, and who better to give him a beer than Steve Austin? Yes. So Steve Austin's music hits, and he comes down wearing jeans and an Outlaws jersey, which I just wanted to mention, the Outlaws jersey. Uh, I don't know if you know who the Houston Outlaws are. I don't. They're from the RFC, the Regional Football Conference or something. It was a one-season, like, pro football league that lasted – it was in 1999, and that was it. Wow. So I guess that was Steve Austin's way of, like, coming out in ECW, like, his old attire. (laughs) (laughs) Um. See, uh, and I never knew somehow that Stone Cold was an ECW guy. He had a very short-lived – he had two matches in ECW. Oh, that would be why I didn't know that. Um, He was injured, and he got fired by WCW uh, through FedEx. His his pink slip was FedEx to him. Yikes. Um, And so he went to ECW, and he couldn't wrestle, so they just let him cut shoot promos. So he dressed up like Eric Bischoff and cut a bunch of promos. He dressed up like Hulk Hogan and cut a bunch of promos, just shitting all over WCW. <laughs> um, and and he wrestled two matches, one against Sandman and one against Mikey Whipwreck, and that's where he picked up the, the stunner from. Huh. Um, but uh, Austin is, is out there. He says he's not serving just Sandman a beer, but the whole ECW roster. He calls everybody out. The whole locker room pours out. Uh even the guys who didn't wrestle, the ring is filled with ECW guys. But Austin says he's there to see a fight, and he calls down those invaders. Uh, he's like, I'm going to count backwards from ten. If you don't get down here, I'll come up and beat their ass himself. Finally start heading to the ring, and of course we get another Edge joke. Style says, there's Edge, and you know it technically wasn't Matt Hardy he screwed. <laughs> uh the ring is totally filled up. Eric Bischoff gets on the commentary table, and Joey Styles is just ripping into him and calls him a horrible commentator. He's like, if you weren't the owner of WCW, you would have never been on commentary. Yeah, no, I do love this moment. Like, okay, do you think Bischoff wanted to be here? Because I don't know if he did. Or if it was like Vince was like, hey, Eric, if you want to keep your job, you're going to go be on the show. I mean, it probably got it. He no, he probably did because he he wants to be over as a heel, so it gives him a great opportunity to be super over as a heel. It's great that they could have a villain who was universally hated. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so Taz's music hits, and uh, it, it, it kind of sucks. Taz has such a small part in this show, despite being such a big part of ECW. Yeah, I uh, thought that uh, was kind of strange myself. On next year's ECW One Night Stand, he has a match. Like with Jerry Lawler, where he literally hits one move and wins, uh, and then he's on commentary the whole time because Taz was retired and really could not wrestle anymore. Uh, but he does come out here. He's got his his head is taped up because Kurt Angle busted him open. Um, Angle goes right after Taz. They brawl on the outside, and Taz locks Angle in the Taz mission and chokes him out. They all start brawling in the ring, and there is something important. You may not have seen it. You have to be looking really closely, but this was a big thing backstage. So JBL is pretty widely known as being a backstage bully. Uh, He bullies wrestlers. uh, He pulls cruel pranks on them, bullies the announce team. He's just – he's kind of a shitty dude. He seems Um, like he would be. 
for whatever reason, I think partially because he had been drinking, because they're up there drinking beer, um, he beats up Blue Meanie for real. Oh, my God. If you look closely, he's punching him in the face for real. Uh, and Blue Meanie starts bleeding. He busts him open the hard way. He has to get a bunch of stitches. I can't really remember the exact reason why. Um, let me Google. Why did JBL beat up Blue Meanie is what immediately came up. Um, I, oh, I think it was because uh, he Blue Meanie talked some shit about him online. Wow. Wow. Weird that their MySpace feud came to a head in this way. Um, and he was... He, 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 it literally was on MySpace, actually. Did you, <laughs> did you also look it up? Because it was li- it literally was on MySpace. I was just MySpace. guessing 2005, MySpace, you know, and sort of seemed right. Yeah, but... Damn, you just don't do that. No, no, that's not okay. Um, and they ended up putting... Because they love doing this. If there's like a real heat, they'll put them in a match. They had a real match, and, and Blue Meanie got some of his when he... he, he Knocked the shit out of Bradshaw with a hard chair shot. Oh, good. Um, you can actually see blood all over Bradshaw's shirt from when he beat up Blue Meanie. Uh, one by one, they toss those invaders out of the ring. Uh, and then Austin uh, says there's one more guy he wants to see get his ass kicked, so he tells Mick Foley to grab Bischoff. He does. He tosses Eric Bischoff in the ring. Uh, the invaders just ignore him. And, uh... Austin just starts directing traffic, and he's like, <laughs> Dudley's, give me a 3D. They hit him with a 3D. He's like, Benoit, give me a flying headbutt. And he says, kill this son of a bitch. Yeah, which is, uh, and he also directs Ray to give him a 619, which is good. Yeah, at which the crowd boos at once more. <laughs> Austin asks Bischoff what his thoughts on the evening were, and Bischoff says, fuck ECW. Um, so Austin hits a stunner. And says, let's drink some goddamn beer. <laughs> so everyone starts celebrating as the Dudleys throw Eric Bischoff on a truck. And the show goes off the air as Joey Styles says, ECW lives. What a fantastic way to really close out ECW. I mean, I know, like you said, they do it again. But this being the, the real tribute, this feels like, uh, you know, if a wrestling company had a serious finale, this would be it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like the Scrubs finale because they come back for one more season that uh, kind of replaces the original cast that everyone pretends like it didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Because they do One Night Stand 2006, and it's okay, but they do it as like this backdoor pilot for an ECW brand. So they have Raw, SmackDown, and they're going to have an ECW brand. Which, for anyone who thought that this was going to be an authentic ECW brand, Myself included, they were, they were fucking dreaming. They do it once again in the Hammerstein Ballroom, but the matches are more ECW versus WWE, um, and you could tell it wasn't the same because there's literally a match between Rey Mysterio and Sabu that gets, that gets stopped due to injury. Oh come so on! So you're telling me that Sabu, a guy who taped his own jaw shut during a match, is going to have his match end in a no contest because he was too hurt to finish? No, and I think that's because you know the rest of the WWE got their hands all over it, right? Like here, it's clearly creative control has been turned over to a certain extent, and they're allowed to really make it with the love and the care to properly go into it. 
Uh, but then wanna... when you try to say, okay, we're doing this strictly to monetize now, and we're getting more involved, then it just becomes less of what it really is. One of the marquee matches on uh, ECW One Night Stand 2006 is Kurt Angle versus Randy Orton. E- Don't know what that what? has to do with ECW. It's because Kurt Angle was drafted to ECW, and Big Show was drafted to ECW. So they finally launched the ECW brand on the Sci-Fi Network, which apparently means they have Sandman has to. The very first match has to be Sandman versus a zombie. Yeah, that's legitimately the first match of the rebranded ECW. But, you know, I think um, a, a big part of it, though, is that, like, you can't really... And, and I assume that, that that did not go for very long. Well, it the ECW brand lasted quite a few years. It lasted from, like, 2006 to 2011, but it very quickly became ECW in name only. Paul Heyman was behind it for a little while till he got fired. Rob Van Dam was the very first champion, which made sense. Uh, but then... There was never another ECW originalized champion except for Tommy Dreamer, and that was it. So only two original ECW guys ever held the ECW championship while it was under WWE. I was going to say, like, you can't really have the ECW come back. Because really what makes it special is all these guys that got their start there and all these guys that that wrestled there. And eventually they're going to, to get too old. And and then you have nothing to really ground it to make it special. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they they tried their hardest. Uh, they had a match that was Big Show versus Ric Flair for the ECW Championship, and a match where Bi- Ric Flair got slammed onto some thumbtacks. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not bad. Uh, but Ric Flair should never be in a match with thumbtacks. No, Big Show should never be the ECW champion. Agreed. They tried to put on their own ECW pay-per-view called December to Dismember, which was the name of an original ECW pay-per-view, but uh, it was just a bunch of random matches with people who weren't from ECW, um, and it concluded with an extreme elimination chamber that only had one... that had Sabu in it, but he ended up getting attacked beforehand and couldn't be in it. And then the only ECW original was Rob Van Dam, who was eliminated first. Yeah, just weird choice. Yeah, it... It... Sucked. They tried to make Sabu cut promos. They had Vince McMahon win the ECW championship. What? It was, uh... It was just bad all around, and they finally put it out of its damn misery in, like, 2011. Uh... But yeah, yeah, it this definitely should have been the finale and not and and not what we what we tried to tried to do. Yeah, yeah, not the reboot. It. Um, and I don't know why we ever really thought it could work, honestly. Uh, but it didn't, but this one certainly did. Um what were what were your overall thoughts? I really liked it. I thought it was a great show and I thought it was a great send-off to, to this company, and, and with so much love and everything behind it, I thought that they did a really good job. I mean, clearly you didn't get any of the super crazy stuff, but uh, I don't think he really well, needed it. Well, super crazy did wrestle on this show. Hey, Peyton, I'm going to give yeah. you a cheer shot to the head. Oh, please, I've always wanted one. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, no, I, I this was a great a great tribute to to ECW, one of my favorite shows. Um, but next week we're gonna talk about someone else's tribute to ECW. TNA always loves to copy WWE, so they decided several years later to have their own ECW reunion show called Hardcore Justice. I feel like it's not going to go as well. I've never seen it, so maybe it, maybe it'll be even better. Who knows? Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, but we'll be taking a look at that next week, uh, or excuse me, not next week, in two weeks. Uh, and then, of course, please uh, subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast from. If you haven't already, leave us a review and let us know what you want to talk about, because I'm starting to run out of ideas. Uh, yeah, what's that Gmail? That's turnbuckletraining at gmail.com. Pretty easy to remember, just the name of the show, and then put at gmail.com at the end. We try to make it easy for you guys. But yeah, uh, anything you the want to The Twitter is not as easy. The Twitter is just Turnbuckle Train because it wouldn't let me fit all those letters. Now, and you may want to cut this, but Seth gave us an idea for, for a show. Uh, he wants us to watch a WWE movie. Now, I honestly thought about watching The Marine. <laughs> we should totally watch The Marine. I'm sure it's super It's not... Not not the worst idea. Uh, but until next time, thanks for listening. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch. I did it for the run. Bonkerest event of the summer, a three big dudes production, starring me, professional toe sucker. No, we won't talk about that, but we will talk about Waluigi, Dog with a Blog, the similarities between Alf and Cousin Skeeter, and of course the Slither. It's Feud Fight, where we take the wild questions most people won't touch and give our scalding hot takes. And I also say terrible things that could loosely be considered word crimes, just to keep things a little spicy. Every Monday, wherever you find your podcasts.